Hi everyone, I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round with Heaven and Tracy. Ah! Ah! Indistinguishable oh, screaming. Everybody's so excited. People are tearing the place apart. Calm down, everybody. They're gonna kick us out of here. I think they can tell that we're lying. <laughs> <laughs> what? What up, Tracy? Hi, how are you? I missed your face, first um, of all. This is what it looks like. It's popping, it's glowing. Thank you. I see your eyeliner. Uh winged eyeliner on point as always sometimes i just want to be able to fly away so my my winged eyeliner makes me feel like i can maybe do that oh my god that was beautiful thank you i just made it (laughs) so what do we have on the show today trace i'm very excited because today we get to talk about my hometown of louisville kentucky yes um i went back for muhammad ali's memorial service Mm. and i talked to some people i wrote some stuff and we're gonna talk about it word i've been thinking so much about his death so i'm really I don't know. That feels weird to say. I'm excited yeah. to talk to you about it. <laughs> but I, I mean, am. Like, that, yeah. he was an iconic man. Yes. So um, I'm really excited for that. I want to hear everything. Me too. And then I'm going to sit down and talk to Clarissa Shields. If you're not familiar with her, she is a 21-year-old boxer. Legend. Legend. Already. Who at the tender age of 17 years old won the gold medal in U.S. boxing in the Olympics. First yo, woman to do so. Yo! Crazy. So it's going to be a it's going to be a sporty show. It's going to be an episode of greatness. It is. The greatest. Aww. Hey. I see what you did. You see that? You see that? I see that. Uh, let's do it. It's impossible not to see. Um, you may have heard that Muhammad Ali passed away. Mm. You may have heard that he is from Louisville. I Kentucky. did. Uh, I thought of you immediately, Tracy. I forgot that he was from Louisville. I feel like that's a very normal thing for people to forget or to not know. But it's such a big part of who he is. I know. I'm so glad that you know all this already. So that means I don't have to explain <laughs> as much. I feel like I didn't think much about what he meant to me as a Louisvillian until he passed away. Mm. So after I heard that Muhammad Ali passed, mm-hmm. I decided to fly to Louisville so I can like cover it for the website, do some live tweet, and also write an essay. What was the mood like? I felt the way that I feel when I go home for Derby. Mm. You know, it's like I'm going home to my city. To party. For like, yeah, kind of. And not only that, but it's like the one, Derby is like the one weekend a year, literally, that people are like paying attention to Louisville. You know, <laughs> it's the only like it's the Dang. only reason that celebrities go. Mm. You know, it's the only people that people are like the only time that people are like you know I'm gonna rent a car and drive to Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, on purpose <laughs> and like stay there and not just drive through. So everybody black in Louisville, like if you're from Louisville, you've been there for a couple of like decades, a few decades or whatever. Everybody has like some f- kind of Muhammad Ali story. Mm. They're not always like interesting stories. It's usually like, <laughs> oh yeah, my auntie went to school with him. Like mm. I have an auntie who went to school with Muhammad right. Ali or like my cousin's hairdresser's best friend <laughs> is song his aunt. Yeah, you know, or like when I was a little kid, I used to see him like jogging behind the school bus. Oh man. Because he used to do that like in the morning so he would like yeah. race the school bus. Uh, can you make sure to be very still because the chair squeaks and this will pick it up. Can we move to the dining room table? Listen, if you're just learning how to use that. I'm not. So I want to see if my mother had any stories. It's a good story. No, it's not. You don't know that. Oh, yes, I do. It was a battle to get it out of her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But I finally did. Why why are you so difficult to work with? I don't know. <laughs> he and his brother were driving around in this big old convertible. Now, I was a little girl, about 10 years younger than they were, 10, 12 years. They came uh, by my cousin's house, 
And what struck me, I will, well, I might even say what impressed me, was seeing two black men in a big, beautiful car like that. Hmm. I think this is a great story. I think it's silly. There's a lot in it. Yeah, there's racial politics in there. you never seen black Racial men. politics? Yeah, you never seen black men like that in a car like that. It's pretty big. Oh, okay. Yo, your mom should tell every story. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping and expecting to have like more stories like that. You know, like, oh, when I was like a little kid growing up, you know, this is what he meant to me. I was very surprised to see like the, the concentration of out-of-towners. Hey, I'm Will Campbell, age 42. From Los there was a guy who drove or flew out with his young son from Los Angeles, and he had named his son Ali after Muhammad Ali. Is this your first time here? Yes, ma'am. What do you think? I like it, because yeah. Muhammad Ali, it was his hometown, so. Uh-huh. So, Ali, tell me something that you know about the original Muhammad Ali. Well, I know that he... important to you? Well, he stood up for the Vietnam War. You have to be um, pretty brave to do that, because... You, you, um, he was a great boxer, so they asked him to fight, and he didn't want to. So, and he he won a gold medal in the Olympics, and when he went to go eat, he they said he couldn't be served, they couldn't give him food, so he got mad. He went to the bridge and he threw his medal off, his gold medal, Olympic mm. gold medal off. So, what do you think about that? I wouldn't have done it. No. <laughs> That's a very honest answer. I, I don't know if I could have either, to be honest. I would not have done it, for the record. <laughs> I want to go on record as saying. But I was just like, this is amazing. Like, What a legacy. I know. So the story that Little Ali was talking about was, so Muhammad Ali goes and he wins his first gold medal, comes back to Louisville, which then was still segregated, and he tries to get a hamburger, so the story goes, at like a diner. And the lady's like, no, I'm not serving you. He's like, excuse me, I'm a gold medal Olympian. I represented mm. your country. And she's like, you're a nigger Olympian, basically. And he gets so disillusioned at the fact that he can like go overseas and put his like body at risk and mm. like in the line for a country that he can't even get a hamburger in. He walks to the Ohio River, throws it in, throws the medal in. That's how the story goes. Now, from what I understand, mm -hmm. there's a chance that this may not actually be true and maybe somebody stole it when he left it unattended. What? But the fact that this like little kid knows it, it so well, legend. like I mean it's it's accepted basically as true. And it just made me wonder how many other little children are like running around the world. Oh my god, not I'm just start crying, yo. <laughs> not just like America even, but just like named specifically after this man, you know? Mm -hmm. But, of course, there were a lot of, like, local Louisvillians there. I did talk to some. My name is Mr. Cruz Patterson. I'm 60 years old. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I just wanted to be here for the Muhammad Ali thing. He was a great man, and he's going to be truly missed and everything like that. It's my my uh, sister-in-law went to school with him. So, see, that's another one of those stories where, like, somebody knows somebody who, yeah. like, went to school with him or yeah. something like that. I didn't want to miss it for Anything in the world. I told my boss on my job, I got to go do this, and I'll see y'all Monday, and I got to go see this history one time. Uh -huh. I saw this woman and her grandson, they were immaculately dressed. Uh, my name is Dolores Sullivan, and I work at Ford Motor Company. Okay. And I'm... Uh, she was there with her 14-year-old grandson. My name is Dylan Allen, and I am 14. Her grandson, if I remember correctly, was in a three-piece suit. Okay. So it was, it's hot. Okay. Okay, he came out the jacket, but still. It's hot. <laughs> they were just immaculately dressed. As there were like rumors that the motorcade is finally leaving, 
she like kind of like ushered him through the crowd up to the curb where I was in. And she was like, I want to make sure you see this. I want to make sure you see it. Mm. And I was like, that woman has got an amazing story to tell. Mm. And so, and they were kind enough to talk to me and just, she nearly brought me like to tears. Mm. Because the first thing that I heard her say when they were like moving away from the sidewalk was, oh, I'm just so emotional. And I was like, tell me about your emotions. Tell me everything. I'm so proud to say that I live in Louisville, Kentucky, the city where the greatest was born. I'm so proud of our community right now, how we come together and how we, you know, have sh are showing him love and that kind of stuff. I'm just, I'm so, pr I'm so proud. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud to be a Louisvillean right now. I feel it. Me too. You're going to make me cry. I, I'm so proud. <laughs> I am. I'm so, so proud. I've been are... emotional all week. It's been an emotional week. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. So I'm going to almost cry again. Uh, I mean, that that summed up how I felt mm. like, about the whole weekend. We're just so very, very proud. proud. I know. I think one of the most striking things to me about how his death was covered and talked about mm -hmm. is like he did so much. He was so brave. And to celebrate that in his death when the same people were part of the problem in his life mm -hmm. was just wild to me. Like people yeah. could not see the connective tissue between Muhammad Ali saying, I am the greatest and Kanye West inspiring people mm -hmm. with his vanity, his yeah. alleged vanity, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, people are allowed to be vain. They're allowed mm -hmm. to love themselves. And I was thinking a lot about like, you know, like LeBron James and like contemporary uh, athletes and how mm -hmm. people are like, too aggressive, uh, they don't, you yeah, know? Too just, arrogant. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, y'all are not about that life. Yeah, that How has not changed you? at all. There's this great, this great video clip of Muhammad Ali on some talk show back mm -hmm. in the day. He was on all the talk he shows. Was, he was out there. I didn't, I didn't fully realize that either. Like, I went was, on a YouTube like wormhole. Uh, a Muhammad Ali wormhole Yes, the best wormhole. So did you see the clip where he was like on some show and there's a white woman talking to him about him yes. being too arrogant? <laughs> he was just like, too arrogant? Mm -hmm. He was just like, you'll never like, don't compare yourself to me. And she was like, well, I'm a minority too. I'm British. And he was like, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm in a minority in this country here. What I'm was your minority? I'm you? from England. Uh, and oh, I'm you're a minority. It's England. You're on England. You're on England and America. You white. You can go anywhere in this city you want to go. Are you from England? You're more free than me. Now, you got some nerve to come over and be mad at me because I'm proud and I want to fight and be confident and get my people to be proud and fight and do. We're the minority, too. We've been a minority for 400 years, and you're freer than me. You're from England. That is one criticism of black people mm. that's just never going to go away. Like, if you think too highly of yourself, How dare then you're you? a threat. Exactly. How dare you? You're and then they like, then the whitewashing starts to happen. Like, oh, Muhammad Ali transcended race. Oof, that no, phrase. He absolutely did not. And he he didn't said, do I'm it black. on purpose. I'm black. <laughs> hey, you forgot I'm black. Guess what? Also Muslim. Mm, bam. Bam. Pow. Just ridiculous. Ridiculous. He also had like the best burns. <laughs> oh my God, he did. Yo, he will insult you and he, true Louisvillian. <laughs> and I said, Joe's going to come out smoking and I ain't going to be joking. I'll be pecking and a poking, pouring water on his smoking. Then this might shock and amaze you, but I will destroy Joe Frazier. Read you the field to make it sound like poetry. That's yes. exactly what he did. Yes. Um, also, he was very, very attractive. Facts. These Mom, are all facts. Molly was fine. Also, all of his children look exactly. These are also like facts. him. Even his adopted son looks Yo. exactly like him. <laughs> That's the Muhammad Ali bump. How? Like those are some genes. You just right glow there. up. You just glow up. <laughs> so I mean, it sounds like almost a little bit overwhelming 
with all that was going on, what what did you walk away with? Like, what were you feeling at the end? I just remember feeling very seen, mm. you know? Because he loved and he so strongly identified as a black man from Louisville, Kentucky, that like when you saw him, whether you knew it or not, you were also seeing Louisville, Kentucky. And so when you see Louisville, Kentucky, you see me and you see my mama and my nieces and my nephews and like all of Shiny Park and all of Shively, you know? Yeah. So it just, I don't know. I just felt special. I'm here with Clarissa Shields, who is the first U.S. woman ever to win a gold medal in boxing. And she did that at the tender, tender age of 17. Listen, I don't know what I was doing at 17, but I was not winning nobody's Olympics (laughs) (laughs) at all. That happened in 2012 in London. There's a new documentary called T-Rex, which is your nickname, which I would love to talk to you about later. And it's about her journey from Flint, Michigan to the gold medal in London in 2012. She's now 21, is yes. that right? And yes, 21. And you've qualified for the 2016 Olympics in Rio, so you're about to do it all again. You've been boxing since 11. I have a thousand questions. Thank you for stopping by so that I can ask them. Thank you for having me here, Tracy. This should be fun. <laughs> I hope so. If it's not, just pretend. <laughs> <laughs> you have said before that boxing is 20% physical and 80% mental. Yeah. So you step into the ring, right? Or you're walking towards the ring. Mm -hmm. You know you're about to physically fight very viciously somebody else, another human being. Mm -hmm. What are you feeling? What are you thinking at that moment? Walking toward the ring, I'm thinking about, one, being calm, staying calm, not getting too anxious. I'm always talking to myself. When you watch my fight, sometimes you see me walking to the ring and I'm nodding my head. I'm talking to myself in my head I'm, and I'm telling and I'm asking myself questions. Do you know you're getting inside the ring? And I answer, yeah, I'm walking toward the ring. And then it's like, okay, you're walking toward the ring. You know within one minute you're about to be fighting inside the ring. Yeah, I'm about to be fighting inside the ring. This is your house. You run your house. I walk the whole ring to let it be known to everybody who's outside the ring, everybody watching, this is my house. And I'm the boss in here. I have to take those mental steps, step by step, every fight, to be conscious of where I am. Because I've had a fight where I just got in. I got inside the ring, and I got out, and I won. But I was like, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I wasn't able to recall how I felt or what was going on. So now I, I, I have these check marks before I fight. If I think hard about it, I think I think the ring smells like a sweat almost. It's pretty hot inside the ring. It's like the brightest light that I that I am that I encounter, you know, at that camp. The light isn't that bright. But once you get inside the ring, it's like this big old brightness over the ring. It's like you're the center of attention and everything else kinda not important. Uh once I get in there, you know, the ref come checks my gloves, checks my hair, gets my mouthpiece. And uh, after that, I'm looking across at my opponent, and I'm like, okay, it's time to do the business. It's time to go. Some of them come and look at me dead in my face, and then some of them I look at the ground. But I feel like they, if they have too much confidence, I'll look right back at them, and I'm shaking my head like, yeah, it's about to go down in here. Yeah, all the talk is over. It's time, it's time to fight now. And I'm waiting for that bell to ring, and then I just kind of get, I just kind of get amped up, like, you know what? Go in there and have fun. Go in there and fight her. 
when I throw the punch, knock my opponent back, or at least knock their head back. I love to hear that. When I hear that, I'm like, ugh, that was a hard shot. And I don't really get hit with shots like that. I, I, I'm always the one landing that shot. Um, I'm always, once I land one, I'm like, ugh, I see three or four more openings, and then I try to get my combinations off because I'm so fast and I punch so hard. I like to back up and let my opponent build their confidence because some of them be really scared. I want you to fight me. I want to see your best. I want you to have some confidence. So, so I may not punch for 10 seconds, and I may let you land a shot, but I just want you to come on, let's fight. She may land at least one or two punches. So I'm going to throw eight. Mine are going to be faster. Mine are going to be harder. And I'm going to win that combination battle. I want to know what's your favorite punch. And I'm going to let you hit me with it. And after you hit me with it, I'm going to let you know, now your favorite punch just became my favorite punch. So I'm going to hit you with the same punch you just hit me with over and over again. And it's going to make you not want to throw yours because now when you're throwing yours, I'm throwing mine at the same time and I'm, and I'm landing first and you're not able to land, you kind of lose your confidence. I want to I wanna break your confidence. I want you to feel um, like oh, there's, there's nothing I can do with her. I want you to go through every game plan you have, A through Z, within the four rounds to figure out how to beat me. And I'm just going to have fun and, you know, put some power and speed on you and see, see what you can handle. I've tried to make my ears adjust to hearing USA, USA. To me, it's, it's motivational. They're yelling out combinations, but really all I can really hear is the coach. But I can always hear USA, and when they're yelling USA, I think it's it's overwhelming for my opponent, and I'm like, I'm going to attack her while they're yelling USA. I know that I have won a fight. Sometime, I know before I get in the ring, I know how my body feels, and sometime before I get in the ring, I just feel untouchable and I feel unstoppable. And I'm, and I'm doing some trash talking to my teammates, like I'm about to beat this girl up. Like, and I'm and they're looking like Clarissa, we know. I'm like, nah, y'all don't y'all don't know what's about to happen. It's about to be nasty. If the first round is close, I can guarantee you the second round won't be, and the third round won't be, and the fourth round won't be. I just kind of uh, some fights I know before I get in there, get get in there, and then some fights I know after the first round. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner by a score of 19 points to 12, an Olympic gold medalist in the red corner representing the United States of America, Clarissa Shields. So um, I just watched the documentary. I'm the least athletic person <laughs> on the face of the planet. So to see somebody else physically asserting themselves and especially women because that's an image that we don't really see very much in the media you know we're usually like you know a little cute and dainty and like little flowers which really gets on my nerves yeah, but Kim Kardashian yeah for one for yeah. one I don't think it was ever explained how you got the nickname T-Rex where they come from well now you know I'm, I'm 165 pounds I'm a pretty big girl I'm 510 in height mm-hmm. back back in the day when I was 11 12 I was I was tall, but my arms were very short. <laughs> and a teammate who I boxed against, his name was Darion. He had, uh, he was like, "You don't have a nickname," and I was like, "I don't know what my nickname will be." And then he was mm-hmm. like, 
uh, Reese Cup. I'm like, what? <laughs> Come on now. Because my nickname is Rest. I'm like, Reese Cup? That's the worst nickname you can think of. <laughs> and then uh, he said something about Chocolate Thunder. I'm like, what? This time? I'm, not, I'm not a stripper. I was what about to say about? that sounds like a stripper's name. And then he said uh, T-Rex. And then I was like, why? And he was like, because you mad aggressive and mm-hmm. you got these little bitty arms. And I was just <laughs> laughing like, okay. And uh, from there... That's just how I felt that I was. I felt like I was a T-Rex. I heard it's the most dangerous dinosaur, but also one of the smallest ones with the smallest arms. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, I'm a T-Rex. That's perfect. So I stuck with the nickname. And it sounds good, Clarissa T-Rex Shields. Yes. I do not have a nickname. I feel like if I did, it would not be anything as fierce. My mom calls me Sweet Pea. We're going to edit this out. That's not very fierce at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always really interested in why people do the things that they do. So why do you bop? I was inspired to box by my dad, and he told me a story of the great Muhammad Ali Mm. and how his daughter, Layla Ali, took after him. And my dad used to box, so I thought when he told me that story, he was telling me he wanted me to take after him. Sadly, I was wrong, Mm. and when I asked him could he sign me up, maybe two days later, he told me no. But I I had already went to the gym. I knew where it was at. (laughs) I was down there already training. Mm -hmm. So why did he tell you no? My dad said boxing was a man's sport, and he told me that I was too pretty to be a boxer. Mm. At the age of 11, I did not think I was pretty at all. Wow. And if my dad would have said any other reason not to box, like maybe because you can get head trauma or because it's dangerous or, you know, whatever, maybe I would have accepted. But he said, you know, boxing is a man's sport. And I was like, you got to give me a better reason than that. <laughs> we got to. So I think I trained there for about two days, and then the coach said you have to have one of your parents line you up. I went back to my dad and asked him again, and. He uh, drove me to his house, and we had an intervention. Mm. I walked into his house, and it was his wife, her three kids sitting at a table, and everybody kind of voted on if I sh- on, on if he should let me box or not. He voted no. Everybody else voted yes. Mm. So he lost majority <laughs> decision. That was my first fight won against him. Mm. I'm thinking he knew how tough I was, and when I started boxing, um, when I walked into the gym, it's just the most homiest place I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. So mm. I so I kept going. So at 11 years old, you were like, nah, women can do any and everything that men can do. I had a very strong grandmother. Okay. I was and my grandmother was from. fully just equal rights. She don't care. Mm-hmm. Gay rights. She always watched me race the boys on the street, play football in the yard, play basketball. The only thing she, she hated was when I got hurt. Mm. Did your grandmother or would she consider herself a feminist? Mm-hmm. She was more of like equal you know, right. men, men get a lot of privileges. She's more of like uh, the person, like, treat me how you want to be treated. And my grandmother was not the nicest mm-hmm. of them. I mean, she's like, if you treat her like shit, she treats you like shit. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're mean to her, she's mean to you. If you disrespect her, she has no problem disrespecting you back. And I remember one time she was so mad at one of my family members. She said, if he was next to me drowning... I'll let him. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I was like Grandma. You sound like my granny. <laughs> you know, and um, the last time I actually spoke to her before she passed, I was so sad. I was I was 16 years old, and uh, she was talking to me. And I had, and that's the first time I, I walked to my grandmother's house, and I showed up unexpected. I didn't call. Mm-hmm. And when I seen her, she's like, Coco. And she, she gives me this big old hug. And I'm like, wow, I haven't seen you in so long. I think probably like a month or two. Mm-hmm. You know, I always talk to her over the phone, but I really wasn't able to get in contact with her. And I went over there, and I seen her. And I can just tell, you know, 
she was sick. Mm-hmm. But I can tell she was trying to, you know, fight her way through. Her eyes were glossy. And uh, when I sat down, I started crying. And she was like, it's okay, Coco. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be all right. And uh, she was like, just when I die, don't be letting everybody come to my funeral and kiss on me. She said, <laughs> tell them I said, bury me face down so everybody can kiss my ass. <laughs> laughing so hard because my grandma just she had that feistiness in her and I was always so nice and quiet growing up and now I'm, I'm kind of the same way that my grandmother was sometimes uh-huh. and it's like yeah I could be pretty mean but I laughed so hard uh-huh. and my grandmother passed uh, two weeks after that mm. and she wanted me to be okay and she always told me be strong you know mm. look out for your mom look out for your brothers and your sisters be the leader of the family she always told me that yeah I can tell that you carry all of those things with you when you when you step into the ring and when you fight. I have to. My grandmother was my grandmother hated seeing me cry. Mm. My grandmother was just so tough. She didn't even tell anybody in the family that she was sick. Mm. She didn't want anybody feeling sorry for her, and that's how I am. When I get in the ring, I don't want you feeling sorry for me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get in there and I'm handling my business. And if I come out the loser, it's my fault, and I'm gonna fix my mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like everything is all on me kind of so that's kind of how she was mm-hmm. you're wearing a beautiful Muhammad Ali shirt right now I feel like when I was at home I'm from Louisville originally and I went back for the uh for the memorial and I heard that you were there too yes I was there I went to the memorial I couldn't imagine being anywhere else that day I felt like a part of me when I when I heard that he passed away I feel like a part of me kind of left. I met Muhammad Ali when he was sick, 2012. He couldn't talk. Mm -hmm. And all he could really do was, you know, just really just look at me. He saw my gold medal. We took a picture together. Mm. I met his daughter, Layla. But I always wondered what would he... What would he have said yeah. if he was able to talk? But you know what, being when I but when I saw him, I can sense that he still was a fighter. He always stuck up for what he believed in. Right. It didn't matter if it if it lost him money, if it lost him followers. I think him being true to himself gained him a lot of followers and he influenced so many people. And mm-hmm. I just was like, I have to be there. Mm-hmm. I think being from Louisville and also being black being a woman to see somebody who is being like every part of themselves you know and you remind me a lot of um muhammad ali after i watched the documentary because Mm. i remember that scene where uh y'all were talking about um endorsement deals and how to attract sponsors and there was a cute little white girl who was like i would love to see you not say so much you like to beat people up that you like hitting people and you're like why (laughs) i'm a boxer this is like the truth of like me and who i am and i think that uh for black public figures um, we have to be tame enough to not make white people uncomfortable. And that's what a lot of people wanted from Muhammad Ali. They didn't like how arrogant he was. They didn't like that he knew that he was amazing. They didn't like that he saw no reason to like hide his greatness. I wouldn't even say the word arrogant when it comes to Muhammad Ali. I would mm-hmm. say he was so confident. Yeah. He was so proud of who he was. Mm-hmm. He made you... At a you know at a time where society would say black is ugly, he let you know I'm black and I'm pretty, mm-hmm. and it's a man saying this, you know. And he took very good care of himself. I think it was the confidence mm-hmm. that people didn't like. I don't really think that people thought he was a bad person, but he spoke the truth mm-hmm. back then when everybody was sugarcoating mm-hmm. what was really going on. Right. He spoke the truth before James Brown came out with "I'm black and I'm proud." He spoke the truth before then. Mm-hmm. He let you know I'm black. 
I'm pretty. Mm-hmm. I can box. I can float like a butterfly. I'm fast. And mm-hmm. he loved fighting. Mm-hmm. He loved, he was a boxer. He loved the game, yeah. People tell me now sometimes, like, you know, when you when you talk about your record, it sounds like you're bragging. Uh-huh. Those are facts. Yeah. I'm and, 74 wins with one loss. Right. And even so, that's something to brag about, you know? It's not. I don't think it's bragging if it's the truth. It's facts. Right. I've been undefeated for four years. Mm-hmm. I got 75 fights. Out of 75 fights, I've lost one time. Mm-hmm. When I when I say it, it it may it may sound cocky or arrogant, but that's just my confidence and how proud I am of myself mm-hmm. for completing that task. I'm the first woman to win an Olympic gold medal. Mm-hmm. I'm a two-time world champion. I'm the only American boxer who has ever won three global titles. Mm-hmm. The first. Nobody has ever won two world championships from the United States, mm-hmm. male or female. And it's like when you have to tell people that that's what you do and that you're proud of it. I think when you work so hard, you don't you don't have to be tamed. Mm-hmm. Nobody can tell me how to talk about my record. If you ask a basketball player what he loves about basketball and he tell you, I love dunking on people. Mm-hmm. What you gonna say? Oh, I don't think you should say that. Right, right. He loved dunking on people. Yeah, yeah he loved dunking on people. You ask me. What I like about boxing, I literally like to get in there and fight. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to see if you can beat me, and if you can, I want you to show me. Uh-huh. I don't want. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I don't want to. We can talk a little trash, but I want to see what you're really gonna do. Uh-huh. You know, I, I always tell people I'm about action, and right. I and I say that they're like, oh, I'm really about. I'm I'm really about action. Anybody that wants to get in the ring and test me. I'm ready to be tested, mm-hmm. you know? So that comes from the hard work, and Muhammad Ali worked so hard, he ran so many miles. I just I just hope I can go down in history to be as great as him, or come even close. I think you are definitely on the path to I that, like, so. seriously. I, I know you're trying to get uh, some sponsorships and endorsements, et cetera. We see these other people getting all these big endorsements and all that, so. I want every time you're on TV, if a potential sponsor sees you, for them to be drawn to you and say, oh, I want to work with that girl. But I would love for you to stop saying that you like being the people up and making me cry. You would love me to stop saying that? Yes. Stop saying that. Why? Because you seem like you're a bullshit. When it comes to somebody wanting to get behind me and saying, I want this person to represent my brand. I box. I understand right, that. Right, right. I understand what she's saying. You understand saying. what I'm saying? It's like... An image thing. You have to uh, kind of tone it down a little bit. Do you think that she would have said that to you or that people would expect that of you if you were a man or if you were white? If I was a man and I was Olympic gold medalist, black or white, I'd be rich right now. Mm -hmm. You would never tell a man to say that he... That you don't want him to say he likes hitting people in the ring. If a guy say, I like knocking people out... Nobody would be saying anything to him about that. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that society have this definition of what a strong woman is, mm-hmm. and they want to put a limit on it. They want to put a top. There's never strong enough. There's never tough enough. And that's what they want to put on women, that you're too strong. You're too tough. Exactly. And when I break those limitations and I talk the way I do and I box the way I do, and I and I and I still got and I still get out the ring and I'm pretty and I'm nice and mm-hmm. I don't have a deep voice. I'm probably nicer than your wife is to you, <laughs> you know. So you look and you're just like, eh. 
Mm-hmm. May, maybe women, it's, it's just, we just transform to two different people. You have mm-hmm. to be a certain way for boxing. You have to be a certain way in life. And it's two different people. I'm, I'm all the same person, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm different, though. You know, mm-hmm. I have to be that way. If, if I could smile and wear my hair down when I was boxing, I would do it. Right. But sadly, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> do you think, like, what do you think it would take for that to go away, the limitations that they put on women just because they're women? Uh, women have to continue to break barriers, continue to say that what is, you have to ask the question, what is too strong? What is too tough? And, w- and when they ask you, you have to say, there you can never be too tough. You can never be too strong. And Serena Williams is a great example of that. She lets you, Serena Williams is built like a sculpture. I mm-hmm. mean, so strong. You know, you can see that she's been on top of her sport for years. Mm-hmm. I think people that say that her muscles are too big are intimidated because their muscles aren't as big. Absolutely. People just kind of get intimidated by things that they can't have and things that they can't do. So some men say that I shouldn't be in boxing because, you know, boxing is a man's sport mm-hmm. and I and I shouldn't be boxing. But the majority of them that say it, I box better than them. Mm-hmm. Out of the top men boxers in the whole world that's boxing right now, I classify myself at least in the top 10 mm-hmm. out of all the boxers in the world, male, female. If you have a list of 10 boxers who are the best in the world, I don't, I don't, I don't care if I'm number 10 or if you got me as number one or you number five, that. I'm in the top 10. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a whole world of boxers. <laughs> I love that you know where you stand though. I love it. I'm the best ever. Bam. Best female ever. Cause Muhammad Ali is the best ever. That's the greatest of all time. Mm. Let's talk about your beginnings. You're from Flint, born and raised. Yes. So it's been in the news a lot lately for not great things, the wider situation. And I feel like when there's this media painted image of a place, it's like going through it. You know, we sort of just take what we're given by the news and then we move on. I want you to tell me what Flint is like. What was it like growing up there for you? Every kid on the block, parents knew each other. Everybody talked to each other. But as the years went on, as I got older, probably from the age of 8 to maybe 12, you see a lot of changes within that four years. And um, at the age of 6 till about 8, I stayed with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. If I was mm-hmm. acting out of line, one of, the, one of the other parents would grab me like, hey, I'm going to tell your grandma. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you just let kids be out of order. They all looked out for each other. If one, if somebody kid got in trouble for stealing at the store, one of the other parents pulled up on the block like, hey, that's hey, that's my kid. Mm-hmm. Please don't take him to jail. I got him. Thank you so much, officer. And it's not their child, but it's their child, you know. Yeah. You can kind of see as the years went on, kids on the block started separating away from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that was uh, because of the murders mm-hmm. in Flint. People were losing their big brothers, their uncles, their cousins to gun violence. And really, you know, as kids, you don't really know how to cope with that stuff. You don't know how to... You know, go from waking up to your big brother every morning mm-hmm. to now you never get to see him again till you till you pass away. Right. That was kind of when family started being like our family is our family. We're gonna look out for our family because Flint is so small. Maybe the person's son down the street is the guy that killed your son. So now you're no. Right. There was so I mean if you if you see it in the media, you know, sixty murders a year, you know, 70 murders a year, all in this one little neighborhood, mm. you know, all in Flint. And it's, and it's mostly, 
you know, the north side, you know, kind of like we, we have a street named North Saginaw that goes down, you know, all the way down to downtown to mm-hmm. the north side. And within this range is where the 70, you know, people wow. are killed at. And it's black on black crime mostly. You know, we don't really have a lot of, you know, where, you know, cops are shooting, mm-hmm. you know, where where cops are shooting African-Americans. It's not a lot of that. That's where I see the change, at, you know, because I really wasn't involved financially at that mm-hmm. young age. I was being taken care of by my grandmother, my mom. So I didn't really, you know, know much about that. But I, but I do know that the murders, you know, are something very hard to deal with for a child. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in Flint, you're not taught the right coping methods to deal with it. Mm. And that's what... I think the problem is, mm-hmm. you know. You say in the documentary that uh, without boxing, you don't even want to say where you would be. But where do you think you would be without boxing? But boxing helped me find who I am, you know, find who I'm supposed to be and my purpose. Without boxing, you know, I, I had the mindset of, you know, I want to have a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Ten before you were 26. Yeah, I want to have one every year. I want I want to have a big family. And I didn't think about how I was going to take care of that family. I was just like, I'm, I'm going to be a singer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of my kids. That's it. <laughs> you know, it was more of like I had this part of me that wanted to show my mom how to be a mother. Mm. At the at better age, from till I was 16, I always felt she was just a terrible mother. And I was just like, you know, I just... I just want to show her by example. This mm-hmm. is how you treat a child. Mm-hmm. It's how you take care of a child. And now it's funny now because I'm 21, and it's like my mom is my child now. I literally take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. I I take her out to eat. I buy her clothes. I laugh with her. I ask if there's anything she wants from the store. Like, mm-hmm. she's my child. And even though she never did that, for me growing up, it just makes me feel good to, to actually do stuff for her because she's That's my beautiful. mom and I love her. Uh-huh. You know, and, and, and I forgave her for the past stuff, you know, but... Still, just like I love my mom, so mm-hmm. I kind of show her like maybe in in your next lifetime when you have some kids, you'll mm-hmm. be a little better because <laughs> you know <laughs> learn from example. Mm-hmm. I was such an angry child. I just really needed to find an outlet, and if I wanted to find an outlet, I would have kept resorting to anger and getting into street fights. And mm-hmm. I think I would probably be like more of like kind of the road that my sister took. She went to GBRC. My sister's been in jail. Wait, she went to what? GBRC is like a like a junior like a junior jail. Okay. In uh, in Flint, Michigan, on Pasadena, she's been there a couple times. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't know how God would have been able to to get a hold of me without boxing because that's how I found God through boxing. Mm-hmm. So, tell me more about that. I had a boxing match. I was three and zero, and I boxed against a girl named Chloe from Pontiac. I was uh, thirteen. It was the toughest match of my life. And I was having trouble in school with my grades because I simply just could not stay awake in the morning mm. uh, in my seminar class. It was too early. You know, it was like 7 o'clock. I'm like, God, I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, I force myself to get up and come here. I'm sleeping mm-hmm. on a bus here when I get to my class. I'm looking at the teacher. Then, I, then all of a sudden, I'm waking up when the bell rings. I'm like, oh, fell to sleep again. <laughs> and um, it was so hard for me to keep up with my grades. So um, I got took out the gym for getting the EMR report card by my aunt, who I was staying with. She took me out the gym for a month and a week, worst five, worst five weeks of my life. Mm. Once I got back in the gym, because my grades had came back up, I had a boxing match a week later. So crazy. I stayed ready to fight 24-7, but now <laughs> I hadn't trained in a month and a week. Mm-hmm. And now I get to go back to the gym. 
And I got a fight within a week, and I'm like, I'm so unprepared, so unprepared. <laughs> and the fight was so hard. Oh, my God. And it, I think it was more hard toward the last round because I was 3-0 and with three TKOs. Mm-hmm. And now I'm fighting against a girl who's, I, I, I want to say she was just as tough as me, but she wanted to win just as bad as I did. Mm-hmm. And we were going toe-to-toe. And um, I started to break her wheel, but I got tired, mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to finish her. And it was like, we were going back and forth. She knocked me back, I knocked her back. She knocked me back, I knocked her back. And when I got done with that fight, I had I, I had broke her, though. I broke her the mm-hmm. last 10 seconds of the fight. She started crying, and the ref went in to give her eight count. But the bell rung for the fight to be over, and he was like, okay, you just go back to your corner. Mm-hmm. I was like, just if I would have had 10 more seconds, mm-hmm. I would have got her out of there. But mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't have 10 seconds, so... Um, I got my hand raised at the end, and I just remember when I when I went home and I told my aunt about the fight. Her husband was like, um, "You know, um, you know, God can help that. You know, God can help make that stuff be be easier for you." Hmm. And I was just like, "What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> it's, I got to train harder for it to be easier. I didn't train for five weeks, you right. know." But then he also explained to me, and also when I went to church, that. Uh, God can help you make can make things easier. He make your life easier. You know, you put all your problems in him and he'll solve them. He can make you stronger. Mm-hmm. Um he can make you weaker if you if you need to be weaker for a situation. God can do all those things. And I was like, you know what? I just want God to help me with my schoolwork. Mm-hmm. I really do. I want him to give me the strength to do my schoolwork because my first hour class, I was like, I'm so tired in there. I'm so tired. Right. right. And um I started going to church and I got baptized. Everything opened up for me. Mm-hmm. I seen light. I seen hope. I seen myself with the future. And I seen changes that I need to make to myself to be a better person. And I was like, you know what? I can do all that stuff. And then I seen this woman that I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. years down the line, which, which I still haven't became her yet. You know, I need to get control of my anger. I need to stop, you know... It was really it was really hard for me to control my anger. So I was like, mm-hmm. I need to stop going off on people. I need to stop... <laughs> You know, and and it got to a point to where I found coping methods. I would I would literally write down every curse word that came to my head down on paper, mm. and I'd be writing to the person like you, s- s- <laughs> mm, mm, just writing. And I'm just I'm looking at them while I'm writing like, this is what I want to say to you so bad. And I'm uh-huh. just writing, and then it was like when I wrote it and I read it, I'm screaming in my head. I said mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So it was more of like I can't hold things in. And then when I went to church and I was singing in a choir. It made me feel that my life had a purpose and that I and that I had a father who would protect me mm-hmm. from all harm because I, I, I kind of find myself to be paranoid all the time, you know, always in, you know, protect mode. Mm-hmm. And I'm still the same way now, but I kind of give some of that, you know, to God, most of it that I, that I uh, can. But I find myself in my mom's house. From growing up living with her, I wake up, I woke up in the middle of the night many of times where she's fighting her boyfriend, and I and I gotta go out there and fight with her. And it's mm-hmm. like every time I hear something when I'm when I'm asleep, and I'm in her house, I jump up. Right. And it's like I'm looking around. I'm like, Ma, you all right? She's Always like, yeah. on the defense. You know. So now I'm not. I mean, I would imagine as a boxer, you need a lot of physical strength in the ring, but also as a black woman, you need a lot of extra strength outside of the ring just oh, to yeah. make it through this world. So. It sounds like you got a a good support and defense system for that. Yeah, I do. All right, so we're going to 
go to the fun part of the interview. It's got a weird name. It's called Pew Pew Pew. These are finger guns, and it's like the rapid fire question. There you go. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite animal? Uh, tiger. Okay, why? Because they're the king of the jungle. All right. What's your morning routine like? You wake up in the morning, and then you do what? Listen to music. What do you listen to? So I listen to slow music, Tevin Campbell. I listen to... I saw you tweeting about Tevin Campbell. I was like, oh my God. Did you see the video? Up. No, I didn't see the video oh yet. Oh my God. I see the video. <laughs> what happened in the video? Tevin Campbell, I saw him last night. He was singing. Uh-huh. He sung right next to me. Uh-huh. He got the voice of an angel still, still to this he day. He still sounds amazing, right? Yeah. What did he sing? Um. Now I dreamed of you every day. I know that song. And I... Something. Can we talk? Can yeah, we huh? talk? Yeah. Can we talk for him? Oh man, he did a song. Oh my god, he sound great. Ah, uh, I love that man. Toilet paper. Do you crumple or do you fold it before you use fold it? Fold it. Fold. You yeah. answer that quickly. I never thought about that until I saw this question here today. Why? Do you have a reason? Maybe I'm a neat person. Maybe. Hmm. That would make sense because I crumple. I'm not neat at all. Okay, I think because I'm a neat person, I want to, you know, make sure I get all of it. And I want to even get on my hand or that. Right. So but I feel like it. if you crumple it, then it's got like you got like little random pieces of toilet paper going everywhere, right? So if yeah, you don't goes want somewhere that. Else, well, it'll be there to grab it if like something happens. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. I just, see. Okay, so we're crumpling. We're crumpling toilet paper now. See. So you got this nice little ball. It's in, it's got like this little random little flag here. So if, if it's like going down in the bathroom and something accidentally goes this way, it's like, no, bam, mm, I got it. But Man. if you fold it, you know, you only have like a very limited range of protection. That's way smaller than this. You're right. I didn't think this all the way through. Um, <laughs> I think we're just different. I think so too. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experiment with some, with some stuff later. <laughs> if you could banish one food from the entire face of the earth, completely it doesn't exist anymore what food would it be hmm. grits <gasps> you just made me so happy okay <laughs> i don't know who created grits or why but get exactly there's been this war i swear that everybody on twitter is talking about do you put butter in grits or do you put sugar in grits i'm like it doesn't matter it's still if you, nasty if you put butter you put sugar you put salt and pepper you put it with cheese it's Nasty. It's nasty. It's just soggy air. That's it. Yeah. It's I, gross. It's like, it's just a, I don't, I don't like it. I like that answer. Nobody needs grits over and out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for stopping by the studio. Um, congratulations on your success thus far. Thank you. Good luck from here on out. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you? You tweet, right? On Twitter, social media? I'm on Facebook, Claressa Shields. I got the blue check mark. Hey. I'm on up. I'm on Twitter, Claressa Shields. Got the blue check mark. Uh. I'm on Instagram, Claressa Shields. Got the blue check mark. <laughs> I'm a social media junkie, mm. sadly. I will give you guys my Snapchat, but I think my Snapchat kind of personal. So. Oh. I do respond to my fans. You know, they're having problems. They need some advice. Even on Instagram, you need some advice or anything. You know, slide to my DMs and I'll, uh, you know, I'll respond and try to give you the best advice I can. That's nice of you. So, I'm really a people's person. Clarissa Shields, thank you so much for, again, coming to talk with us. Everybody check out the documentary. It's called T-Rex. It's on Vimeo now and it'll be on PBS August the 2nd. The Olympic Games begin August 5th. We will be watching and cheering you on every step of the way, girl. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to look a lot meaner during the game. Yes. Just, just don't judge me. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs>
It's about to go down. <laughs> Tracy. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> what? It's time to buy rap. I didn't know we were racing to the end of that sentence. Jesus. I didn't either until it happened. <laughs> You're the worst. You probably cheated in recess. I did not. I did nothing at recess. Thank you very much. Oh, baby Tracy. All right. Who are you buying around for? I am buying around for our DJ Donwell. Yo. Don Will. Don Will did a lot of the music for our show. And I've known him for 100,000 million billion years. And he's so talented. He's a very talented producer. He's also a very talented rap guy. He's in a rap group called Tanya Morgan. It's three dudes. There's not an actual person named Tanya Morgan very in the group. Deceptive. And obviously as a DJ, he kills it. And aside from that, he's really, really nice. And I'm just like, why aren't we doing more stuff? With fucking Don Will. Yo. So we are going to change that very soon. We're going to do more more Don Will stuff. Because he's been in the business for a long time. Working and grinding. And music is such an intrinsic and important part of the show. He even did the theme song to my last podcast. Which like two people heard. <laughs> and it was a really dope theme song. So thank you Don Will for all that you do. All that you've done. Um, everybody hire him to DJ your lives. I'm sure he'd be happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's my round. Uh, no, I know. Who or what are you buying around for? I would love to buy around for this vine. <laughs> vine time. Okay, I'm just going to describe it for you and play a little bit. Okay. So there's this person at a Del Taco, <laughs> a fast food chain. And you know how on the fast food chains they have a little sign and it says stuff sometimes like yeah. sale or whatever. Uh -huh. Sale. <laughs> Del Taco often has sales. <laughs> You know but it's I like mean. new new taco. Yeah, yeah. Chai, baja, fresh, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Your what have yous. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there's a there's a sign that is like poorly spaced apart. <laughs> I'm so excited. And it says, or it ostensibly says, fresh avocado. <laughs> <laughs> but because of the poorly spaced letters. <laughs> This person was so delighted <laughs> by how it looked that they just recorded a zooming in on the sign <laughs> and them reading it the way they thought it was supposed to be said. Take I a love listen. It so much. It's a Del Taco. They got a new thing called Free, free, free Shavakadoo. Free Shavak. <laughs> it's a Del Taco. They got a new thing called Free, free, free Shavakadoo. Free Shavak. <laughs> So, <laughs> fresh avocado turns to free shavakadu. <laughs> you can tell the person is so tickled by it. That's my favorite part is how amused the person is. Yes. Like, I bet they just sat in the car yelling free shavakadu for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it became like a huge thing. Everybody was remixing the free shavakadu. <laughs> I like to imagine Shavakadu is like mm -hmm. your homie who got locked up. Right. And we're all wearing shirts that say free Shavakadu. Free my nigga Shavakadu. <laughs> Get he ain't Shavakadu do nothing. out. He ain't do nothing. <laughs> Shavakadu ain't never hurt nobody. <laughs> Fuck the police. Free Shavakadu. Fresh avocados never hurt nobody. <laughs> free Shavakadu. <laughs> and now I just yell it out randomly. <laughs> hoping someone catches the reference. Most people don't. Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, we will throw this vibe <laughs> in the newsletter. But honestly, it just brought so much joy to my life. That oh giggle my before they say it again. Like, right. I just thought of it. And oh, the laugh oh. is just like they can hardly contain it. One more time. Get to Del Taco. They got a new thing called Free Shav- Free, free Shavaka Do. Free Shavaka <laughs> <laughs> The Free Shavaka <laughs> Oh, it's beautiful. I love Vine. Shout out to Shavakadu. We're going to get you out, bro. It's okay. Keep your head up. We did it. Tracy, we made it. Hey. hey. Thank you so much to Clarissa Shields for stopping by and talking to us. Shout out to the Paw Squad. Paw Squad. Paw, 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 paw. This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan and Antonia Sarahito with production help from Julia Farline and Meg Kramer. Shout out to our in-house musicians, Jean Gray and Don Will. You can follow Jean Gray on Twitter at Jean Greasy. That is Jean with a J. And you can follow Don Will on Twitter. That's Don with a D. <laughs> I don't know what other Not letter you could use. As you imagined. <laughs> thank you to Optimus Prime. Oh, thank you, Tracy. You can follow Heaven at Heaven Rants on Twitter. That's Heaven like the place in the sky that some people believe in. And rants like the thing that all men do, but they never get penalized for, unless you're black. Specifically, Ooh. Kanye. All right. Do not forget that we now have merch available online for purchase at shop.buzzfeed.com. What a world. What a world we live in. You can let everyone know you're about that life. Yeah. They will respect you more. Yes. Facts. Facts on facts. And tweet us some pictures of you with your merch. Ooh, tweet us a pic with you and your friend. Oh, friend merch. Yes, friend merch. We can't wait to see y'all. Our merch is available for purchase at shop.buzzfeed.com. And if you haven't done it yet, seriously subscribe to the newsletter. It is so so good to sign up go to buzzfeed.com slash another round slash newsletter and then get more joy and goodness in your inbox every friday at around noonish also check out the other buzzfeed podcasts like internet explorer the tell show buzzfeed's politics podcast no one knows anything mm. also hit us on the buzz hit us on the buzz hey hit us on the buzz. we're on twitter and facebook at another round email us another round at buzzfeed.com rate us on itunes nominate us for a Nobel peace prize <laughs> all the awards all of that stuff um drink some water take, take your, your meds. meds call your mom call your person maybe it's call not your, your mom call your person so y'all know that we are big proponents of um, self-care. Yes. Preservation of sanity. Oh my God. Love it. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to take a couple of weeks off to do just that. and we Vacation. Will... Yeah. Vacation. All I ever wanted. I don't know if we can. Vacation. Let's get away. <laughs> Shout out to Justin Guarini. Oh and from God. the Justin to Kelly movie. Holy that is shit. a song that they cover. I was, what? I was not preparing for it. To Anyways, we're way. going on vacation. <laughs> Just like Justin and Kelly. We're going to go watch Justin and Kelly for two <laughs> weeks straight. And then we'll come back in three weeks and we're tell you all about prioritize it. Prioritize our sanity and come back. We love y'all. <laughs> Bye. Shavaka do 2K16. <laughs> Yo, I'm about to get a t-shirt. <laughs> Watch me. And then I'm gonna walk down the street and be like, yo, you about the Shavaka do life? Can you sign this petition to, to free Shavaka do? <laughs> he was wrongfully convicted. <laughs> we got DNA evidence now. Innocent project is involved. <laughs> We're working on the case of Shavaka do Jenkins. <laughs> Yo, 
shout out to Vine. <laughs> shout out to all the kids on Vine remix and shit. Oh gosh. You know I'm all the jokes for all the worth. Oh my gosh. Uh go forth and free Shavaka do all. <laughs> <laughs> tweet it. Tweet it today. Hashtag free Shavaka do 2K16. That was beautiful. We at the Del Taco. <laughs> <laughs> Newest item. <laughs> it's where Shavakadu got picked up. No. It's where Shavakadu got stopped and frisked. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Oh, Shavakadu. Poor Shavakadu. <laughs> <laughs>